Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Well, it is Easter indeed, isn't it? It is, uh, it is the, the Super Bowl of the Christian. Much like, a, like a, a football season, like you build all football season, like we build all year long to get to kind of this day. And then this fuels us to keep going all through the year. And we celebrate the resurrection not just on one day, right church? We celebrate the resurrection should be every day. And I want to kind of open up this morning and tell you about a story of a trip that I took. Several years ago when I was in the Navy, I had the opportunity to go to Pisa, Italy. Who's heard of Pisa, Italy? Show me your hands, please, so I'm not alone. Great. Who's been to Pisa, Italy? Anyone? One person. Awesome. So uh, what is in Pisa, Italy? The only reason you probably ever heard of it is because what? Tell me on the count of three. One, two, three. There you go. The Leaning Tower of Pisa. Because I'm a thoughtful pastor, I wanted to put a picture of that up on the screen. Why'd you all laugh? I am being thoughtful. It's on the screen. That is the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Yeah, it's amazing, right? Several years ago, when I had the opportunity to go there, I paid good money to, uh, I got off of this ship, and I would pay just about any certain, any amount of money to get off of this ship at this point. So I I paid some money to get off the ship and to be able to go to see the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Of Pisa. Now it looks it looks amazing right here, but it, in actuality, whenever I saw it for the first time, I wasn't that impressed. As a matter of fact, I looked at it and I had seen like you know the arch in St. Louis, the Gateway to the West, all that. And I've seen that. I've seen the Sears Tower, and I've seen a lot. I've had the ability to see a lot of other big structures. And when I looked at that, I thought, eh, okay, it's a tower, and somebody should have built it better. You know, I didn't really think much of it. And as I was Kind of walking around the tower, this it looks a lot more clean in this picture, but on the back side, when I was there, there was construction going on, and they'd put counterweights on the back of the tower to make sure it didn't fall over all the way. And I thought to myself, it would be amazing if somebody just took the counterweights away, and I just got to watch it fall today. That would be the most amazing thing about the Leaning Tower of Pisa. As a matter of fact, in my house, it's not known as the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It's actually known as the Leaning Tower of Letdown because after all the money that I paid to go see it, I looked at it and I thought, eh, well, at least I got off the ship. It wasn't all that fantastic, Leaning Tower of Pisa. But yet, if you look in the left of, uh, on the screen and you look at the building on the left, that was the most amazing thing about that time And that trip, it wasn't the tower itself. As a matter of fact, I have another picture. It's coming up next. That is is the Pisa Cathedral. Who's ever heard of the Pisa Cathedral outside of uh, one other person? No one. Everyone hears about the Leaning Tower of Pisa, but yet the most captivating thing about this trip, and it would be for you, I'm going to take you there, right? And then everybody's going to book a vacation, and we're all going to go. But the the most amazing thing about, about Pisa itself is this cathedral. As a matter of fact, um, you see right where the the big doors are. That's the main entrance, at least it was on that day. Uh, As I was walking around the grounds, and I was there with a couple friends of mine, and we were just kind of checking things out. And I remember that that we were kind of captivated by the building. I love architecture. I love, like, old architecture, and that's really old. Um, It it was actually constructed, I I believe, just before 1100 uh, A.D., so it's really old. And... So I remember walking into those double doors and kind of going through and I could hear some, some things going on, some music going on, some singing and things, kind of noise coming a certain direction. So 
me and a couple of buddies of mine were walking down this corridor, and, and there's like artwork that's like crazy old. I'm not really big into art. I mean, it all just kind of looks like mud on a screen. I mean, it's really not all that impressive to me. You may love art, and that's cool, but it's just not for me. But I remember going down, and I was like, okay, that's neat, and all these paintings and the murals and all this, and they take and put all this decor in there. But as I got down to the end of this hallway and kind of opened up into like a little bitty courtroom, or rather a little bitty uh, courtyard of sorts, and, and then all of a sudden, me and, and a couple of buddies of mine, we were greeted with two security guards. Now, that wasn't good news for me because I'm thinking, man, I paid good money for this trip. The, the, you know, the, the tower's a letdown, so I've got to have something here to make it worth my while. So as I'm walking down and these two security guards come up and they're like, they're just telling us, you go, and they're putting her hand up. I don't know. Apparently, in every part of the world, you go means the same thing. It means you have to leave. So he's like, you go. And I'm like, well, I don't want to go. I want to stay, you know. And I'm like, well, no, we just want, want to see. And we're not to the point where we know where all the noise is coming from. So they're like, you go. And we're kind of bummed and dejected. So we walked right out those double doors. And because I, I was a Boy Scout, and you know, a Boy Scout's always supposed to be prepared in situations like this, I thought, you know what? The thing that I need to do is I need to be a little bit persistent. I'm not going to bother anybody. I'm not going to hurt anything. So what I decided to do, and friends of mine decided to do, is, is walk on just on the, you can't see it in the, on the screen, but it's on the left side of the building. There's like a little back door into this cathedral, right? You see where I'm going, don't you? So I, I decided, you know, I'm not going to hurt anything. Yeah, those security guards said, you go. And, you know, we knew we were supposed to, and we did for a minute. But then as we're walking around the building, and I find this other door... And it was a little bit of a shortcut into what was their sanctuary. And I remember going in there, it, they were actually, it, they were speaking in Latin, all these things were going on, we're kind of sitting back in kind of the shadows, there's like some big columns and things were kind of hidden away in, this, in the, another, it seems like a courtyard, or a courtyard right outside the worship area. As a matter of fact, I have a picture of the worship area, um, it's coming up next. It's pretty amazing, right? Everybody say, ah, oh. it's pretty amazing. And then you look around in here and you're like, man, I want some of that, you know? So yeah, I mean, it was incredible. And we're kind of tucked away on, on the left side. It's out of the picture, but on the left side. And kind of seeing there was a full-on worship service going on in this cathedral. Which is why the, the security guards told us, you go. And as we're sitting back and... I'm just kind of blown away that all these things are going on in a complete different language and not knowing what's going on um, exactly because, you know, I don't speak Latin. Um, I speak a little bit of redneck, but, you know, that really didn't help me much when I was in Italy. So I'm, I'm sitting there and kind of really captivated about this church. And it was at that moment that I started to think about something in a different way. I started to think about what would cause these people to worship so differently than the church that I received Christ in? As a matter of fact, I had received Christ just before I had gone to this church. And the church that I received Christ in was not that different than this one. Very simple. Um, and yet, when I went into that place, I thought to myself, wow, it's a different language, a different culture. They worship in a different way. And they worship the one true God. And you know, the reason why, or rather, the connection that we have with them is what we celebrate today. Amen. is Easter Sunday. 
It's Celebration Sunday. It's the resurrection of Jesus. Because it was only the resurrection of Jesus that would send all different churches into worship. Whether if you choose to worship with a piano or an organ or a band like we do, however the case may be, with that it's just a pipe organ. And you have all of that. And speaking different languages, different worship styles, different buildings, different architecture, all that, none of that, rather, really even matters as long as we keep the main thing the main thing. That being the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there are many churches who, uh, who will worship this day, and they'll worship different than us. And as you open up your Bibles uh, to 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to be in verses 1 through 8. We're going to see a church that had kind of, they'd started worshiping in, in a very unique way, but then all of a sudden, some division started happening in the church. And the division started happening in the church and they started looking at other things, peripheral things, and they took their eye off the prize, that which was the resurrection of Jesus. They started to look at each other and they started to, to say, well, how much sin can, get, can I get away with? Can I go do this and it still be okay with God? Can I do that and it would be okay with God? What do I have to do to be good and to be okay with God? And the Apostle Paul, who wrote the letter to uh, this, this letter that, we're going to read from in 1 Corinthians 15. He had to go into this church who had really mistaken the thing that was the most important. They had lost sight of the resurrection of Jesus. They had started to put their attention on other things, on people, on things they liked, and all these different things. As a matter of fact, they even had some, some confusion in that church. It's really an interesting read. If you want to see how messed up a church can be, that is the book to read, 1 Corinthians, because it's a really messed up church. And the Apostle Paul goes in and he's trying to do ministry to these people to try and help them to understand we can differ on so many other things, but we have to be unified on Jesus, on the resurrection, most specifically of Jesus. As a matter of fact, earlier, and it's not where I told you to flip to, so don't think this is going to be weird. um, 1 Corinthians 1.10 is how he kind of starts this whole letter out to Uh, the book, or rather to the church in Corinth. Verse 10, chapter 1. Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, basically Christians, I appeal to you, Christians, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. So Paul goes through at the beginning of this letter and he says, hey, I just want you to know I'm recognizing that there's divisions in this house and there need not be divisions. So then he goes through with a, a, very, a, a very eloquent way and sometimes very harsh way of being able to deal with the issues in that church. And one of those we see in the text that I told you to flip to in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's read it together. Starting in verse 1. Chapter 15. Now, brothers, Christians... I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. So you see, here's a group of people, stop right there, who have heard the gospel and they profess Christ and they're saying, okay, at one point or another they profess Christ that yes, I am a follower of Jesus and yet Paul says, okay, on which you've taken your stand, verse 2, he says, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So he's saying, keep the main thing the main thing. Verse 3, 
For what I received, I passed on to you as of... What's the next two words, church? First importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Most of whom are still living. That's important. Though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James the half-brother of Jesus, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Basically, what he's saying here, he's not necessarily talking about his birth. He's talking about the time that you have all these other people who, who walked with Jesus, they heard Jesus, and they were, they, they were students of Jesus, and Paul came a little bit later. Paul came into faith a little bit later, and he had a, just a, a radical experience with Jesus after the resurrection, that'll blow your mind for a minute. And yet, Paul says, I, it seems like I've come to the party late. Everybody else is already talking about Jesus, and I came to the party late. But he said, he appeared to me also. We'll back up, starting in verse 3. Paul said, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. You see, if you look around the room, look around if you would please. We all look different, don't we? Some of us, if we have kids in the room, we may look like our kids. Our kids don't want to say they look like their parents. That's just the way it goes, but, but they do, right? And yet you look around, we're all completely different. And I bet if even what's represented in this small room, if you were to sit back and we were to have just discussions over coffee, you would be able to tell me about some unique worship experiences that even you've had. We're different people. Maybe we've had different worship experiences, and yet God has put us all in this place or within hearing of this message on this day. That's not by accident. And yet we have all these things that could separate us. And Paul says, yeah, we could talk about all those things that make us different and how we look different and the things that we like that are different and our family trees are different and I'm from here and you're from there and we're all different. But he says, let's talk about the thing that's first importance. Let's talk about the thing that's first importance. Because if we get what's first, the, the thing that's first importance right, none of the other things really matter because we'll be centered on Christ because the resurrection changes everything, folks. It changes everything. I love how Paul, in this text, he, he just spells it out. He gives us the gospel. He says, as, as of first importance, he says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He said, let it be known, church, and all the churches." who are going to be coming, Christ died. He died. He didn't go to sleep in the tomb. He didn't, he didn't fake death on the cross. He died in bodily form. The God-man, the hypostatic union, if you're like a big theologian, you know, theologically minded person. He was God and man at the same time. And in the man, the Jesus, the man of Jesus, died on the cross. He died. As a matter of fact, we know this from the gospel accounts of, of Jesus' his crucifixion and the events um, of this past week. Because the, the person, when Jesus was put on the cross, after being beaten and flogged and whipped, whipped in such a, a, a devastating way that, that a, the whip would actually have just a handle, would have like a bunch of leather straps on the ends of it, and then he either have balls at the end of those leather straps or, or little bitty chunks of bone. That way when, when he would be stricken, that it would rip into his flesh and, then ca- and cause 
more harm. After all those events. And he was put on the cross. And, and all of those things happened. And he said it is finished. And it was finished. And he conquered sin and death that day. After that event. And he's on the cross. A professional executioner went up. Just to make sure that he was indeed dead. That he wasn't asleep. That he wasn't faking it. That he wasn't like doing one of these numbers. That he died. A professional executioner went up there. And he didn't do what what normally happens. Normally what they'll do is they actually strike the leg and they'll break the leg of the person on the cross. Because death on a cross is by, uh, just basically after exhaustion happens, then the body can't lift itself up anymore and it causes them where they cannot breathe. So it's a slow and agonizing death. But what normally would happen is they would break the leg. And if they would break the leg, if if they would be living on the cross and he, they, the person would not be dying soon, they would strike the leg. Therefore, the person would have to slump on the cross and that they wouldn't be able to support their own weight and that they would basically asphyxiate and they would die sooner. They didn't have to do that. There was a prophecy that was explained in the Old Testament saying that not a bone would be broken on the Lord Jesus, and it wasn't. But what the executioner did do, he took a spear and he rammed it up into basically through and up into the heart cavity of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the gospel account of Luke says that blood and water poured out, which is the cavity of the heart. So the the water that surrounds the heart and struck the heart of Jesus and water and blood poured out. Jesus died. Paul, he, he goes through and he doesn't make it flowery, does he? He says, let's make the things that are... the." First importance, the most important. Let's put them on the pedestal. Let's not forget why we're here. Church, let's not forget why we're here. We're not here just because, you know, this is the beginning of spring break and I'm getting ready to take a trip and my family's all together and we, you know, are going to do Easter eggs later and, you know, we, we spent money we didn't have on things our kids didn't want and we've got a bunch of Easter candy that's going to go in the freezer or refrigerator and then it's going to be thrown away two weeks later because you didn't want them to have the chocolate anyway. You know, let's not mistake, let's not mistake why we're here, okay? Let's make this, let's make what Paul's message, like it, let's make it the first importance in our hearts and our lives. Can we? Should we? As we just kind of go and go beyond this day, let's remember the events and what Paul is talking about. The Lord Jesus, as Paul said, verse 3, of first importance, he said that Jesus died, that he died. And that he died for our sins. Don't mistake that part. Not, he didn't just die. You see, a good, a good man could, could die. Good people die. Good teachers die. But a good man and a good teacher in, in, is not somebody that you would craft your whole life around, is it? Unless, of course, that good man and the good teacher was God and that he resurrected. And yet, when he was on the cross, he died for our sin. To conquer our sin and shame. For the things that you have done wrong and that I have done wrong. And I've done a lot that's been wrong. And yet the Lord Jesus, He took the weight and the punishment of our sin on the cross. Knowing what it it was going to take of Him. And knowing what it was going to take for us to be right with Him. You see, that's... You do this in your own relationships, don't you? Don't you don't you sacrifice for your relationships? If you have kids, haven't parents, have you sacrificed for your kids? 
Have you, have you done things for your kids and you've kind of put your, your wishes aside and you said, you know what, I know I probably need this, but I know my kids need that. And what are you going to do? Any good parent is going to go out and they're going to provide for their kids first. You know, the Lord Jesus, when He went on the cross and He took the sins of the world, He could have taken the easy way out. He, he, he was God. He is God. When He was on the cross... He, he had the ability to say, you know what? It's all good. God, you're going to have to find a different way. But he didn't. He died on the cross for our sin, to take our sin and our shame and to bear the brunt of that and yet to be the sacrifice for us. But yet, just as every good relationship that you have is built on trust, it's built on honesty, it's built on some level of sacrifice. If you think about your marriage, for instance, right? You think about your marriage. Isn't your, your marriage built on those things? Trust, sacrifice. I mean, if you go into your marriage and, and you don't have trust, it all comes tumbling down, right? If you go in and you don't have respect for your spouse, things kind of get messy in a hurry, don't they? What happens if, if you basically live your life? I mean, I, I lived 19 years before... I got married. I got married at 19. I was really young. I would not recommend that for students. I really wouldn't. Um, it worked for us, and, and God was incredibly gracious to us, but there's been a lot of hardship that came with us getting married so young. But I, I, we both, we got married at 19. We had had 19 years apart to do our own thing, to live our own life, and to make our own mistakes. And then when we came together in that relationship, one of the things that was difficult for us was the idea of sacrifice. Because I went into it thinking about me. And, and I'm not going to speak for my wife, but I, I bet she would probably say kind of the same thing. It's like you have to have some level of sacrifice to build a relationship. And yet, that's the very basis of what Jesus did for you and I. He laid, laid down His life, a self-sacrifice for us. He didn't come, we didn't have like the Ten Commandments, and then He says, well, you know what? If you keep the Ten Commandments, and you do that just right, then I'm going to die on the cross for your sins. As a matter of fact, He didn't. If you look, and if you're like an Old Testament person, um, if you go back and you look at some people in the Old Testament, you look like Abraham. This is like before the Ten Commandments were written. You look at the events of Abraham. He, he had favor with God and blessings from God. He and his wife. It was an incredible story. You ought to jump into it. It's Genesis 12. And then you see at the end of Genesis, you see the, the story of Joseph um, when, when he was in Egypt and all the events that happened there and, and just incredible work of God before the Ten Commandments. You see, the love of God is not built on a list of things that you're supposed to do. The, the love of God was poured out on the cross, and then Jesus, and then we're supposed to live our life according to what Jesus says. But we don't have to basically clean our act up to come to Christ. That would be counterproductive of the cross, wouldn't it? And yet, every relationship that you have is built on some level of sacrifice and respect and honor and dignity all of which Jesus showed for us on the cross. Paul continues, and he says, and that he was buried, that he was buried. This, was, this is a very distinct thing that often gets overlooked. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. A guy by the name of Joseph of Arimathea basically loaned him the tomb. And it says, you can use this tomb. 
that Jesus went into the tomb. You see, if there was no tomb, we wouldn't have any verifiable proof of the resurrection, would we? If Jesus were just put on a slab in, 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 the, in the city streets and everybody would go by and His disciples would sit there and then all of a sudden He wasn't there, everybody else would be able to go in and say, oh, you just took Jesus' body away. But yet, when Jesus went into the tomb, and Scriptures um, kind of say that, that the, the stone that covered the, the tomb was a stone big enough that two men would have to move. And yet, that stone that, that basically entombed Jesus after death. And Paul tells us here, he says, I want you to know that there has to be a death, there has to be a clear burial before there's a resurrection. There has to be. One leads into the other. And when Jesus went into that borrowed tomb, and on the third day, we see, and we may already know what happened, he says that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Amazing in that is this was actually uh, foretold 700 years before this event. And the prophet Isaiah had kind of foretold this was going to happen. And then in Psalm 16, verse 10, we also see a, a foreshadowing, a foretelling of these events. David wrote this, Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Holy One is capitalized. It's a reference to Jesus. So there was this, this envisioning in the years to come through the prophet Isaiah and through David that, hey, resurrection is coming. Resurrection is coming. Don't be caught off guard. Resurrection is coming. And it's going to change everything. That Jesus didn't, didn't just die on the cross for our sins. That's so important. Don't, don't get me wrong. He didn't just die, but he was also buried. And that he resurrected. And then he wasn't there on the third day, was he? He wasn't there. And it was foretold that this was going to happen even 700 years before. You know, one of the things that I have found in, in my years of ministry is that God has a unique way of making our brokenness whole. But also, God has a unique way of, of taking the things and, and the complicated and the difficult and the painful and the distractions and the stresses of life and to make them into something more beautiful. It's incredible. I don't even understand how all that works. That's the sovereignty of God. I know He's done it in my life. If, if you've walked with Christ for a number of years, you've probably had maybe some of those stories as well. And yet... Something amazing happens when, when we live our life and we understand that as Christians, we're not going to be perfect. And maybe you're not even a Christian this morning and you're thinking, yeah, you're saying this whole Christian thing and you're like referencing Christians. I get that. Maybe you're not even a follower of Christ yet and you're just seeking this. And I, I would say that I, I welcome you. I am so glad that you're here. But don't mistake who Jesus is. Don't mistake what he has done. That he is God, that he resurrected. And if you, if you can get yourself around some of those things, a lot of other things that become complicated about the Christian life start to make sense. Don't try and figure it out all at once. Just like the events in our life, when we go through difficult times as Christians, and we have stresses, and we have pain, and we have hardship, and we have conversations that we never thought we'd ever have, and we have people acting in ways that we never thought that they would act. We have to trust in God and saying, you know what, I know that you are going to make all things right some way. That you're good. all this is going to be turned to good. Even the difficulty, even the pain, the hardship, even the, the, the stresses of life that, that we 
that just seem to overpower us, that some way, somehow, through faith, God's going to make those things right again. Or He's going to turn them for His good. Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians Second Corinthians 5.17. Scripture many of you are probably familiar with. He said it this way. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. This is talking about like rebirth in a Christian, like not like the whole literal rebirth thing, because that'd be weird in a hurry, but, and you're looking at me kind of weird right now, but it's talking about as a Christian, after you become a Christian, that's when the changes start happening in your life. You don't have to start changing things to be okay with God, or else the cross would be irrelevant. The, the, none of the events that we're celebrating today would even have near as much meaning if you had to get your life right before you could turn to God. And yet Paul, he would be one who would know this full well. If, you've, if you don't know about the Apostle Paul, he was a messed up dude. He was, he was a very, very well-schooled and well-trained Jewish man. And that wouldn't seem like necessarily a bad thing, but he was, on, he was part of the Sanhedrin, a ruling council. Kind of the same group that, that crucified Jesus. He would be like within those people. And he was one of the religious leaders um, he, not specifically, but the religious leaders are the very ones that Jesus basically had to go against during his whole ministry. Yet Paul would know because of the events that happened in his life when he was changed by Jesus. He says, I, I would know this, trust me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. He says, trust me, I get it. I was the one who supervised the killing of Stephen. You remember that from the book of Acts chapter 8? It's like, I was there and I basically, I signed off the approval of the killing of a Christian. I understand who I was before Christ and I understand who I am now and I'm not the same person. I'm not the same person. He says, trust me, I, I, you, it may not make sense to you and it may, be, it may just be a complicated idea to you, but he says, trust me, look at my life, I'm a different person Pre-Jesus and post-Jesus. There's just something after you see after you see somebody in their resurrected body come down and speak to you in a profound way and it makes you blind and then it makes you see, it kind of changes your life. That's what happened to Paul. There's just something amazing about that. And yet, he sends this message to us. He says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. God did not give us the Ten Commandments so that we could keep all ten and then, and then you know what, I'm, you, you do right with the Ten Commandments and then I'm going to send you Jesus and He may send you ten more and we're going to see how you do with that. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. The Lord, he, he actually had relationship with people as He desires a relationship with all of you. He, he had relationship with people and then He gave the Ten Commandments because He said, you know what, Life goes better when you live by some sort of moral law or code. Life goes better. You already know this in your relationships already. You already know this. I'm just going to pick a couple of the Ten Commandments and see how this would work out in your relationships. Uh, Thou shalt not lie, okay? If you were known as the liar at work, would you have many friends? You wouldn't. Would you have a marriage? 
uh, not one that functions well, right? Would you have kids that respect you? No. Okay. Um, hmm. Let me think. Okay, with your kids. Talking about greed, covetousness, and just wanting, just wanting more and more things. Don't you try and teach your kids contentment? If they don't have contentment, they're always wanting the newest and the, and the latest and the best and all these things. And yet, as parents, you sit back and you intentionally, you give them some of the things that they want, but you don't give them everything they want, right? And yet, as parents, you're like torn. You're like, oh, I want you to have that new iPad. I really do, because I want to borrow it, you know? You know, you have all these things, like you want to give them good gifts, and yet as parents you say, you know what, if I give my eight-year-old an iPad, they're going to break it. And then it's going to incite anger in me. And then I'm going to wonder why I just dropped $600 for an electronic device that they dropped in the toilet, you know? I'm like, I know multitasking, but seriously, you know? Think about it. And Paul would tell us, he says, you know what, yeah, yeah. I understand that it's complicated and and God wants a relationship with you. And he says, after you start to build this relationship and you you accept Jesus, that it takes a choice. It's not because we live in the south and we're in middle Georgia and we can pray before every event and we have Bible verses all over town and on our bumper stickers and all these things and we're all about God and we're all about country. Those things are good things, don't get me wrong. But it isn't because of those things that we're okay with Jesus. It comes down to a choice to be okay with Jesus. He desires a relationship with you. He's given you a, not, not a set of, you know, I'll say laws, but kind of guidelines, moral guidelines for your life to make it better. We already attuned to those. So why not just accept his invitation into relationship with him? And he says, after you have that right, after, after you've made the choice to say, yes, I don't understand everything about the faith, but I can get certain things right. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe, as of first importance, what Paul said, I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. I believe that he went into that tomb and that it was covered. And I believe on the third day he resurrected, just like the the Scriptures told us. If you can get those things right, then you can have what you really want. Because we, we all live in a world at war, don't we? We all live a world at war. And the very thing that we want is peace. We want peace. We want peace. We want happiness. We want contentment. We all do. No matter what your word you use to describe it, that's what we want. And yet the Lord says, the only way you're going to have that is if you accept my invitation into relationship with me. And he said, and the amazing thing that happens, and Paul tells us in, in the scripture that's on the screen, and the amazing thing that happens is, therefore, You, anyone that is in Christ, is a new creation. You're not who you were. You're not who you were. That you're changed on the inside. And after we're changed on the inside, it shows on the outside. It shows on the outside. But Paul tells us, let's keep the things that are of first importance. Let's keep those things. We don't have to worry about, I like this, and I don't like this, and the church across town, and this church across town, and the way they do things, and the way they do things, and all those things. He says, let's keep the gospel centered. Can we? Can we, church? Can we keep the gospel centered? And keep that, keep Jesus on the pedestal, that he, he, he died for our sins, that he was put into, into the, the borrowed tomb, and then that after that, he resurrected. 
I love through this text, just in case, you know, you're kind of cynical, going back to our original text of 1 Corinthians 15. In case you're a little cynical, I, I just want to jab at you just for a minute. Um, all of these people that are mentioned in, in the rest of this text, starting at verse 4 through verse 8, they all agree in the resurrection. They all agree in the resurrection. And look what it says. It says, He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Verse 5, And that He appeared to Peter. He appeared to Peter. Then He appeared to who? The twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. At the same time. That's important. Most of whom are still living. Some, though, have died. He says, Most of the people are right here. You can go around town and you can look and see them. But 500 people. They attest to the same thing. And then he appeared to James, the half-brother of Jesus. He says, even his own brother agrees on that. How profound is that? And then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also. He says, all of these people, just in case you're cynical about the resurrection and you're doubting all these things, do you think it is even possible in this day and age to get that many people to agree on one thing? The only way you can do that is if they all had that experience together and that they had that one thing in common. And you know, the most difficult thing that happens in in our day and age, in in the day and age of, of the church age that we live in right now, is churches, we've started to, and if you're not a Christian, you're going to totally agree with me. Churches have started to like go at war with people. And they started to go to war with political parties and they started to go to war about certain ideas they're maybe a little bit in the bible but they're not what paul says are first importance ideas and yet churches are we're kind of going at each other and you you looked around and you see that we're all different we all look different we have different backgrounds we've had different worship experiences we've been in different different churches different denominations however you want to say it we've had these different experiences and yet the thing that keeps us centered has to be what The resurrection. It has to be. It has to be the very thing, the centerpiece of our faith. And if it's not, if it's not, it's devastating. Look at my blocks up here. I was playing earlier before you guys got here. It's awesome. I've got to have something to keep my mind going. I won every time. I was the only one playing, but I did win. It was incredible. Um, Jenga, right? Everybody say Jenga. You wanted to say that ever since he'd been up here. If you, if you were to look at these, and this actually isn't Jenga, because Jenga is like the for real one. This is like Binga. This is the generic version. So, but you get the point. All these blocks are kind of different. They're not even the exact same shape. And if you were to look really, really closely at these blocks, they all are unique, every single one of them. Even, even the measurements may be close, but you know what? They've had different wear. Kind of like the church. Every church has had different things happen to it and ah, this happened here and that happened here and took a nick here and took a ding there and this happened here and all of these things and well, we don't worship the same and they look a little different than us and well, that one's different. You get the idea, right? And yet, it's, it's, the church is it's a fragile thing, not just our church, all churches, the, the body of believers in the world. It's a fragile thing. And the very thing that holds us together is what? What's the one thing that holds us together? The resurrection. 
Because if you didn't have the resurrection of Jesus, it all comes tumbling down. Because there's so many things that, that make us different, and we're all unique. And the thing that has to make us, to, to have us to have the same mind and purpose as what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.10 is Jesus. And if we stop putting the emphasis on the resurrection, we change the very essence of our faith. Changes the very essence of our faith. If we make it about a person, about a style, about this, about that, we change who God meant us to be. Now, I just want to... got some other things planned, but I, I want to stop right here. I recognize in a group like this, not everybody is a Christian. Not everybody is. And I just want you to know, there's a great promise. And I've talked about, all, I've talked about this promise. And that's what Paul drew attention to in the Scriptures. He said, the thing that's first importance. You may have questions about the faith. You may have questions about, okay, did Jesus do that? What did he mean when he said that? All those things. We can answer all those other questions later. But I want you to know, the thing that's first and the most important is that you get Jesus right. If you want to be a new creation in Christ, we have a promise, this is a promise of Scripture, that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That the old is gone and the new has come. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ in a personal, personal way, maybe today's your day. As a matter of fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I don't do this very often. But I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I'm going to pray. If you want to pray out loud, you can. If you don't want to pray out loud, that's fine. You can accept Jesus without saying it verbally. But here's what I want you to do. After I pray the prayer, the band's going to come up, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. But if, if something in your heart is stirring to say, you know what, I am, I am, I don't know if I'm okay with Jesus yet, I want you to take one brave step with me. I want you to take one brave step and I want you to talk to me after this service. That's what I want. I want you to come up to me, and I want you to, to and it's going to take bravery, it's going to take guts, and you've got them, you've got courage. But I want you to come up and say, you know what? I've made all these other decisions in my life, but I haven't made the ultimate decision that changes everything. And I haven't accepted Jesus in a personal way. And what I want you to do after we pray this prayer, I want you to come and talk to me about your experience. I know we have things to do today. I know we've got lunch plans. I know all those things. But this is the most important thing that's going to happen today. Okay? 